Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. It's time for a Destination Health special edition mini-series. We're talking with Sally K. Norton, the author of Toxic Superfoods. Sally, welcome. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, it's great to have you back. You know, we we had you on just as an interview as your book was coming out. And as I was doing the interview on the air the first time, there was just so much. I mean, I read the book and I was overwhelmed. I had met you at a conference earlier and really wasn't paying attention to oxalates until I talked to you and you just fascinated me with it. So it solved a lot of problems for me. So a lot of like mysteries that we weren't figuring out, like a big one, I experienced it myself. And then we were able to solve this and, and figure it out. And we helped a lot of other people. The whole idea of the gout-like symptoms, we started noticing we were helping people get really healthy on like keto and, and carnivore type diets. And a lot of them started saying, you know, I'm getting this really sharp joint pain, you know, my toes or any joint I've injured before I had a shoulder that was really acting up. And it, if you went and, you know, kind of looked at what the symptoms were, you would have swore it was gout. And I thought, wait a minute, how could this be gout? I mean, gout comes from a really poor diet and we've done the opposite. We've really cleaned up all the things that should have caused gout. It's so that was a, a big one for me. We've been dealing with that for years, and your book explains that so well. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Where while you're healing on, on a better diet, some strange stuff can come up, which is all about your past way of eating, really. Yeah. And, and it seems like with oxalates, you know, that that's really a big issue. So kind of you were the first time I looked at all the material and there was so much good stuff I wanted to get out in this book. And I said, there's no way we can do this in one episode. And that's kind of where we came up with the idea of the mini series. And since then we've created about six more. We really love this concept, you know, taking a book or a course and, and turning it into an audio mini series. It's really important for our clients. They're, they're driving all day long. They have 11 hours to learn this kind of stuff. So we, we couldn't ever create enough audio. I mean, they have so much time to listen. So we decided, you know, we, you we, and I love to talk. So it's right. a good fit. <laughs> that's right. What could be better? And, you know, why cover something superficially that, you know, you're just going to forget and really not let, be a real gift in your life and really make a difference. You know, making a difference means sometimes getting into the weeds a little bit. That's so critical. I think that is a really important part. The more I look at kind of the natural and holistic health world, the more I see that we miss a lot of people because they only touch the surface. They, you know, that those surface things we always talk about, they keep coming up. We don't get into some of the details and without them, I think a lot of people fail at this. So I think if we can be, if yeah. we can just take a step back, slow down a little bit and say, let's explain these things a little deeper. Let's explain what's going to happen in the real world when you start doing this. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, start eating carnivore and all of these things go away. And we can really prove that, right? We can prove inflammation goes down. We can measure these things. People lose weight. They're, you know, they feel better. Their mood is better. But there are going to be some negatives. 
And I don't think we talk about those enough. And then I think people are shocked when they happen and they don't know how to solve them. They get frustrated. Maybe they just go back to their old way of eating. And I don't want to see that happen. So I, I think this issue in your book just outlined this so well that you can be eating a really, really clean diet right now and still be having problems. And they can even be new problems. That's absolutely true. And and so it's so important to know you're really on the right path and it has this other piece to it as part of the real healing process that's going on under, underneath. And to just pretend that you can just do this one way of doing things and, and put up with things that don't seem to fit your picture of what it means to be healing, you're lost and you won't stick with it. You'll say, well, you know, it was okay for a while, but it stopped working. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, isn't that a pretty clear pattern when people try to lose weight? Don't they go through this over and over and over? They're told eat low fat and exercise a lot and you'll lose weight. And if you eat low fat and exercise a lot, you're going to get sicker and sicker every year, right? Yeah. Yep. So, so that failed. Deplete yourself. That, right. And then we were told, oh, well, you know. And then you're like, oh, maybe I didn't do it good enough, exactly. so I'll do it again. And that's what the doctors <laughs> usually tell people, right? The doctors give this old tired advice. Then the patient comes back, nothing has happened, and they blame the patient. Absolutely. Every time. It's your failing. You didn't do it right. <laughs> and that, and people are sick of hearing that because really you give it your best shot with all the information you've got and it doesn't work. How about what you're being told doesn't work? Yeah. How about what, what if we told people the better you are at following your doctor's advice, the unhealthier you might become? Isn't that sad? <laughs> and your nutritionist advice yeah, right. and the online <laughs> stories and all the like prevailing messages of cut out the fat and oh. all of these things more vegetables, it's all failing. It is. Absolutely is. That's the, that's the big one now. I think the low-fat myth is probably on its way out. I think we finally have disproven that or proven that, that that's wrong so many times now. People are finally getting it. But unfortunately, their big shift now is, is oh, okay, if low-fat didn't work, we all have to be vegans. That seems to be the shift now, <laughs> right? We've been throwing vegetables at the problem and uh, yeah. plant foods at various problems. Whether you're an immoral person or an unhealthy person, it's probably because you need to rely on more plants, which is <laughs> ridiculous. But And really, the people who are waking up to the freedom to eat butter and eggs oh. are oh. not your doctor. I still think the dietitians and the doctors are all still weirdly <laughs> fat phobic. They, they can't right. let actual yeah. science penetrate their brain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to jump into some, some, some of the meat here. No pun intended. <laughs> you eat mostly carnivore, don't you? I, since, yes, I do. I, I certainly do. And it's a very fishy carnivore. Oh, good. Lots of good. So we, I don't know if you and I have talked about this. I don't want to get too deep into it because I get, we want to get to here, but you know, we're really working on a diet now. I've kind of called fermented carnivore. So it is really wow. primarily a carnivore diet. Eat as much meat and animal products as you want because they're virtually impossible to overeat those things. And then how much fermented food can we get in? You know, okay, it, now we're even starting to look at fermenting meat and fish. 
It's a known thing. Yeah. yeah. People get into it. I've not really specialized in that one. Been doing a ton of fermenting. I've fermented just about everything. I'm doing a, uh, a fermented hot honey now that's really incredible. But I haven't got to the meat and fish. I think that's going to have to be my next project. <laughs> a lot of people start with liver and put liver in a jar and leave it sit in the fridge forever. You know what? They call that high meat because they say high meat. When, when you eat it, you might have hallucinations. That worries me a little bit. Yeah, I guess it's a sort of mushroom. Fruit. I, I it's know. A fungus, after all. Yeah, that, that one does seem a little weird. So let, <laughs> let's let's jump into it. So I've met you. I've talked with you. I've learned a lot. I've read your books. When when this book came out and I started reading it, uh, I, I went back to it again recently for this mini series, and I found something that I think if a lot of people, if they get the book, they're certainly not going to go right to this page. They may eventually get there. I really liked this, though, for myself. This really kind of uh, kind of opened up my eyes in a lot of ways. So I want to start with this today where, you know, we're kind of calling the last recording we did. That'll kind of be the prequel. And then this is part one. And I love using this as a way to get people into this topic because it really opened up my eyes. You have um, on page 277 of the book when they go buy it, which they should do right now, or... You can actually, you have this form on your website that can be downloaded. We'll talk about that later. You have kind of a uh, checklist, right? Kind of an inventory. Tell us about this and and how you developed this and what it's all about. This is a self-inventory in the field of toxicology and looking at diseases that come from toxic exposures. There's not good diagnostic tools ever for any kind of toxicity disease. And what's happening is we're over-consuming oxalate, which is a toxin, and you end up with this toxicity disorder. And so the only way we can really discern if this is a possibility in a person is to look at their exposure to that toxin and the response to that exposure. Is there a set of symptoms coming out from that? So this was started off as a, a an ex- risk. Well, it started off as just the exposure and symptoms and exposure inventory and, that I developed many years ago. And then I realized I needed to add in the risk factors as well, because if you also have the risk factors set you up for an additional levels of vulnerability to the oxalate harming your health, then that is also really helpful. It's like, wow, you can really see your picture there when you see, yes, I've been living on potatoes forever. My mom brought me up on them and I, you know, I eat them every day and these kinds of things. And I've been having these bursitis and this achy back or this stomach issue. And I'm starting to get like IBS or whatever, you know, so you've got these patterns of exposure and Symptoms showing up at last, which is oftentimes you don't get the symptoms in the beginning. So symptoms alone are not enough. But if you also realize that maybe you're early in the game and you don't have a lot of symptoms, but if you have have these risk factors that increase your kind of the increase the power of oxalate to get from your food into your blood and make it harder for your body to get rid of it, those things will really get you into real trouble with oxalate with really kind of a modest exposure level. So even if both your exposure and symptoms seem sort of ho-hum, whatever, but if you have these risk factors, that's another flag that we need to pay attention to. 
I think the way you just described that, I think is why I got so much out of this. My mindset, even after talking to you somewhat, reading the book, being exposed to oxalates in the beginning, because it's a new topic and I'm trying to work my way through it. My mindset was kind of, I was looking at the really high oxalate foods, spinach, kale, beets, the real, the, like the worst offenders. And I was kind of thinking to myself, look, if I'm not really eating a lot of the worst offenders and I don't really have any major symptoms, I don't have IBS or anything, this probably isn't anything for me to worry about. That is absolutely false. Exactly. Do not think that way. Absolutely false. <laughs> do do exactly. not think that way. That was wrong thinking on my part. And I think this this checklist really kind of helped me understand that because it, it's a quick look to see all of these factors and all of these symptoms. Oh, first off, I didn't realize how many foods had oxalates in them and enough that if right. you would, you might not think you're over-consuming those foods. So you might think this isn't a problem for you. I'm going to tell you, you need to think again. I would almost venture to say it. I'm going to ask you the question because you would know this. I'm just going by the little bit I've learned so far. Other than, you know, somebody like uh, Sami Inkinen, who's, you know, a world-class athlete and cleaned up his diet a decade ago. Can you find very many people that aren't affected negatively by this? Uh, I don't think you can, given that our population is struggling with so many health issues younger and younger. But by the time you get to retirement age, you're on three drugs. And 10 years later, you're on nine drugs. Yeah. And, you know, things that we're not thinking about, even in public health, we talk about the language of chronic disease, which is our big problem. Everyone's coming down with some kind of chronic disease that seems to have a pharmaceutical answer to it. And we worry about cancer and we worry about heart attacks and maybe stroke. <laughs> The truth is, all three of those combined don't happen as much as osteopenia and osteoporosis do. And bone thinning and weak, fragile bones affects men even worse than it does women because when men fall, they trip on the threshold out the back door, they may never get out of the hospital alive. It's uh, more deadly in men than women. I was going to say, you know, when you mentioned something like, you know, bone issues and osteoporosis. I don't think many people get all that concerned. You know, I think in their mind, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that happens when you get old, you get a little bent over. And that's not what we're talking about here. I don't think most people realize that one of the leading causes of death in the elderly is falling. And it's not the fall that kills them. We're not talking about major falls here. We're talking about little trips, but they break a hip bone. Little trips. They're as good as dead. Well, you want a more depressing story, Kevin? Well, not I really, but we should probably tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you need to hear this. I know. I know. You don't have to wait till you're 78 to trip and then never leave the hospital except in a coffin. I have clients who were diagnosed with their osteoporosis in their late 30s because they were heavily into almond butter and whole wheat bread from the health store. And one in particular, and he was 48 at the time, he was out on a mountain bike ride by himself and he, he took a spill and that broke his neck and he's quadriplegic, still alive now, finally doing better now that he figured out carnivore and oxalates and he's gaining some function back and he's gaining back joy, but he's had eight years of misery wondering why he's alive. 
And it's the osteoporosis that really is one of the examples of these chronic diseases that oxalate can create. You know, I want to go back and clarify something. You said he was mountain biking, he crashed, he broke a bone, and people are going to say, well, he broke a bone. It was an accident. He shouldn't have been on the mountain bike or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, his bone shouldn't break that easy. I don't think people realize That's that sometimes right. you, you shouldn't have broken a bone. That's right. When you're in your 30s and 40s, you still should be able to bounce because the body is going to maintain you at the best it can if it has the right situation. But the way we eat is ruining our connective tissue. So it's not just the weak bones, the connective tissue that holds the whole skeleton together and holds your head up and everything that also gets weak. And so it doesn't, so the added benefit of the tendons and the fascia and the connective tissue also wasn't there. So the whole thing can move and dislocate and therefore slice through that core spinal cord. Yeah. So I love this, this inventory I think it really kind of lets people know you don't have to work very hard to figure out if if this is a problem for you. If you live in this country and you haven't really changed your diet, this is a problem. Yeah, it really is. I think what we think of as normal aging is really, to some degree or another, how oxalate poisoned we are as a as a race, as a human race now. We've been introducing these foods for the last 400 years heavily, like potatoes and chocolate and and sweet potatoes and things that really were rare foods. And nowadays, especially in the last 5 to 15 years, but really in the last 100 years, we've been telling ourselves that we can live on things like peanuts and other nuts and just Weird stuff that was never human food. We Peanuts didn't become human food until about 100 20 years ago. Wow. I didn't know that. It's kind of interesting. And they used to grow it for the, for the pigs. Oh, okay. Yeah, and according to the research I've read, it was during the Civil War when the South was running out of food to feed the soldiers. And they're like, well, hey, let's use this pig food over here to keep them alive. <laughs> so they started giving them peanuts. Isn't that kind of the way we started eating grains? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I read, Groveling we, in, we, in the barn yeah, with the animals and going, I need to eat. Yeah. I think it was kind of like that, but even before we had barns and animals, I think we, we got to the point, yeah. I've, I've read certain stories where we got to the point, we're so successful as hunters that we hunt out areas. And that almost never happens in nature, yeah. but we did that. And and pretty soon there wasn't enough food. We were too successful. And they started looking around to see what the animals were eating. To, so they think that's how we started eating grains. It was an emergency food. Yeah, all plant foods, I think, are really like, let's so get too. by or, you know, I've got a little, yeah. you know, I'm just hiking along and bored. I'm going to chew on this twig. And- <laughs> yeah, here's a couple berries. Oh, those taste good. That's not bad. You know, we haven't killed an animal in two or three days. I'm a little hungry right now, so maybe I will chew on a tree. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. What do you think it, about you know, this? Humans have always been experimenters. We like to experiment with Good things. Point. and, and what, yeah. what do you think about the idea that, that so I kind of believe that, you know, human food is mostly animal food. Plant food for humans is kind of a backup, you know, kind of an emergency food. What do you think the idea of, of plants is medicine, though? Well, you know, I think there's some merit to that because we've been using them for a long time and, and they're always meant to be sort of purgative. So if you've got some kind of infection or you've got some kind of stomach bug, you want to give somebody something that will help them to vomit and to 
have diarrhea to clean them out to try to move that if there's an infection in the digestive tract. So it's always been a kind of a toning or purgative approach to medicines and all medicines are used in a short period of time, right? three to 12 days, and then you're done. A true medicine is not something you take every day. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking along the lines of, you know, we look at, you know, native tribes and they always had a medicine man and, you know, it was was plants. But if we think of them as medicine and think of our current medicines as just poison and we should get rid of them, I think that's not a bad way to approach this and look at it as, you know, we we have certain plants that have powerful compounds in them. And maybe some of the compounds are even the plant's defenses, but sometimes we can use those powerful compounds short term to solve a problem or to correct a problem. I mean, that, that kind it's of a, seems... It's a stimulation of your own, your own ability to recover can be stimulated by a good whack on the side of the head. And all medicines are some degree poisonous. You know, most people who study toxicology in college end up working for the pharmaceutical industry. Yes, most right. toxicologists <laughs> are working for drug companies. Because you have to figure out which dose won't kill your patient, how much can you give them to get some kind of beneficial response yeah. without too much harm. So it's always you know, about that balance. You know, could we even say that using plants as medicine, we also need to be aware of side effects. Because isn't that true that if a compound has a positive effect, it has to have a side effect. But when we use plants... And and that's true with so many things. But we're being told, endlessly eat plants because there is no side effects to them. We're being told a complete story of fantasy. That's really a big problem where we've accepted this without thinking, you know what, that we're not considering the other side that we're told only to imagine benefits and just hiding the the assumptions under that, that they're really benign in any quantity. That doesn't make any sense, but somehow it's so normative that we'll, we'll take that story and run with it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. One other thing you just reminded me of, I think one, one of the problems we've done with a lot of these issues is we confuse two words. We confuse common and normal. Almost everything that's right. been, become common around health is not normal. And we say it like it is. Oh, well, that's common. Oh, well, that happens to everybody. No. So what? I don't care if it does happen to everybody. If, if it's not right, it's just not right. Yeah. I mean, why would you want to settle for the mean? And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you want to find out what really feels like feel good? Exactly. And, and, Really, you probably have more of these stories than anybody. Once people feel this change, nobody really wants to go back. You know, in the beginning, I I remember fighting with people constantly. When I first started talking about the keto diet about nine years ago, I got death threats. People said I was killing people. You're going to have them lined up in the emergency room with heart attacks. I mean, it was on and on and on. Um, right. I mean, you've probably experienced that same thing, right? If you talk about, you know, high fat diets or carnivore diets, people are shocked sometimes. Yeah. We just got a new review online today of someone who says, I can't believe you're letting people eat meat in your book. You know, within 20 minutes of eating meat, it slaps the arteries shut. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, Oh, it's just, yeah. 
It's just incredible. And then that, you know, again, we talked earlier about people not sticking with this, but after a while, we were able to prove to people that the ketogenic diet worked. You know, it sounded crazy to everybody. You can eat all the fat you want. And it seems like the more fat you eat, the more weight you keep losing. And then carnivore, when we can get the right ratio of protein and fat in there, works even better. But then they started saying, oh, yeah, it works because they couldn't really dispute it anymore. There was too much proof, even if it's just anecdotal. I mean, when you scroll through social media and you see people over and over and over that have lost hundreds of pounds like this, you can't argue that it doesn't work anymore. Then they started arguing, well, it's not sustainable. (laughs) But talk to anybody who's been through this and they will tell you this is the only sustainable dietary change they've ever made. Well, you really wonder why they're so invested in that narrative, because why wouldn't you take reality, what's happening in reality, that people find this the easier way to get their weight under control. It's obviously lowering inflammation and lowering stress in the whole glandular and metabolic system and letting this, the whole metabolism reset and restore you to, to humanity again. And why would they want to discount the results that you're getting? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to your to the risk factors. I want to jump into this and and kind of start to let people know. And we're going to tell them up front. We're going to tell you all these risk factors. We can just about guarantee when we're done, everybody that's listening to this is at risk or, or for the most, even myself. I mean, think about this. Nine years, I teach this stuff. I live this stuff. I biohack. I experiment. I do this stuff all the time. I'm still fighting with oxalate issues. Yes, me too. I've been I've been off oxalates in my diet for over nine years. I'm in my 10th year and I'm still getting some signs of oxalate coming out and it's very encouraging. I feel like it's my nervous system and my spine bones and my shoulder tendons and the neck area all working on recovery, but it does mean digging out the accumulation of oxalate <laughs> in those tissues. Yeah. Yeah. So let, I'm going to start in here. Yeah. Um, so I had some of these risk factors as a kid. You know, I had right. um, some of these risk factors include being put on antibiotics. So the, often this will happen to children if they get a series of strep infections or ear infections. And later when I was at babysitting age in my 20s, every kid I babysat was needing tubes for their ears. And obviously they Pre- rounds and rounds of antibiotics. Remember that. Yeah. It was a crazy craze back in the like 1980s sure where every yeah. baby needed tubes. Yeah. Lots, and so lots a lot of, of us have ENT that early doctors. Ah, yeah, it's like a whole field. And that whole facial area, the ear, nose, throat, dentition, sinuses, and eyes, those are all heavily affected by oxalates. Wow. So if you've got stuff going on there, like my when I started this diet, I immediately, after like a week or so, I got a three-week period of facial pain around the sinus area that almost was so intense at bedtime that it felt like a little migraine, like a kind of pain where you can't sleep and you feel really sort of sick. And that was the beginning of cleaning out this old sinus problem. I used to get sinus infections every single year, right around near the, <laughs> every year for 30 or 40, 30 years. And then I went on this diet and I got that little facial pain and I've not had a sinus infection now in nine or 10 years. Incredible really is just incredible. Hey, I want to get to this list, but every time you and I start talking, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Yeah. That's one of the things on the list. 
been taking antibiotics or they were given to you. Got it. You know? I, and then another one is, oh, well, now your gut's not so good. <laughs> You've got some kind of a digestive issue. And, and so, yeah, you can't digest dairy. So you have to go on this dairy-free diet, which doesn't have any calcium in it. So now you've got gut inflammation and no calcium. And anything like the antibiotics, a trauma experience, which I didn't put on the list, by the way. So add this mentally to your list, guys. That trauma experience probably also increases the leakiness of the gut. And so if the gut has higher permeability because of any form of inflammation, you're going to absorb a lot more oxalate. So that's a major risk factor. And one of the things that other thing that causes that leaky, damaged gut is the use of NSAIDs, these um over-the-counter pain meds like Motrin and this Advil. Is a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. People start living on them. Women do it for their periods and this and that, and it, then guys will do it for yeah. who knows what. Yeah. Even children. My neighbor girl, when she was 10, she'd stay home from school sick, and she'd start self-medicating herself with this kind of stuff, cold I, medicines and this and that. I hate to admit this, but I can't count. You know, prior to learning all this stuff, how many times I took a couple Advil or Tylenol just because I worked out too hard that day and I was a little sore. How stupid. I know. Isn't that awful? Yeah, because actually you're canceling the benefits <laughs> of the inflammation you create. <laughs> I know. It's just awful. Even vitamin C I, and things like that will cancel that healing reaction to the workout. Yeah. And the crazy thing is... I. Just used to, they were so common. Everybody had them. You get a little twinge, you take one, the twinge goes away. You think, oh, see, that works good. Except now I realize I've lived nine years without ever taking one. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Yeah. yeah. That's huge, too, because it only takes like a few hours after you've taken this to cause even ulcerations in gut tissue. Wow. And it just, the research is stunning how severely this wrecks the digestive tract, it's hard on the liver, it's hard on the kidneys. So kidneys is another issue. So you either have gut problems, you're either on a dairy-free diet, you have this history of being on antibiotics or using pain medications, and maybe in your family or yourself, you've had some kind of urinary tract tendencies with either kidney stones or UTIs or problems with voiding or frequent urination. Those are all signs that your urinary tract is stressed, and the more stressed it is, the harder a time it has of getting rid of oxalates that you're eating. Okay. There's so many little things. I want to cover one more area and then I want to come back to this list. What One of the things I love about what I do, I kind of sort of work as a practitioner. I'm trained as a practitioner, but I do more radio than anything. And I get to spend a lot of time with other practitioners and people like you. And, and you, what you've done with oxalates, I I couldn't recreate if I tried. There's not enough time left. I mean, you've put so much work and study into this area. And then, you know, tomorrow I might be talking to Dr. Wolfson, who's a cardiologist. And then we might have a, you know, a neurosurgeon on. And, and so I, I get exposed to all these people. And one of the things I try to do is, you know, sometimes we get in our own little silos. And I try to be the one that says, let's mix things up a little bit. Because when I talked to you the last time, I solved so many problems. When I talk to practitioners and I have things I can't figure out, I try to bring them up. And it's amazing how many times I come up with solutions like this. So I want to run something by you that I just learned. I don't know if you'll have any opinion on this or thoughts. I've been looking for holistic dentist. It's one of the areas we haven't covered yet. And I want to get, you know, somebody kind of on our team that we can refer people out to. And, and I knew that our current dental practice was pretty poor. 
but I didn't know how bad it really was. <laughs> Almost everything they tell us to do is making our dental health worse. How yeah. could we get this so wrong? Man, nutrition is just as bad. Oh, I know. It's really sad. I do have colleagues who will have the ancestral understanding of dentition and so, dental me, stuff. Very few people yet see the oxalate piece in the dental problem. See, that's, so they're not seeing this tartar buildup is a major sign of somebody's system is stressed with oxalate. That's what I want to get and your the opinion. salivary glands, because your dentist is the one who will look down your throat and feel your glands and look around for signs of oral yep. cancer or whatever. And they're, they're the first line to notice, hey, your salivary glands are moved out of place or they're swollen or they're hard or they're lumpy. You know, you could have oxalates clogging your glands. You're getting oxalate into your teeth and gums from the circulation coming from what got absorbed from your food. It travels in the bloodstream. And then the salivary glands concentrate oxalate. And between that, you, your saliva is bathed in oxalate. Your your capillaries in your teeth and gums are bathing them in oxalate. And you can get into some major um, inflamed gums, receding gums, loose teeth, receding jaw bones. A tooth pain and sensitivity, tooth loss. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking. And at some point, I think I may even want to get you and this dentist together. I think you might be able to teach her a lot. I think she's really, I haven't even reached out to her yet. I've watched her videos. I've followed her stuff. I bought some products. Getting ready to reach out to her. I just want to make sure before oh, I do that, that this is legitimate. And here's what she told me that I really want to believe. And I think she might be right. I just haven't seen any proof of it. I, I haven't looked hard enough yet. Here's what she claims, and this made sense to me. She says that teeth are really, really similar in structure to bone. Well, well that makes sense. I mean, I, I could certainly see that. They have a hard enamel outer coating that a bone might not have, but a lot of the structure is the same. And her thought and hypothesis was when we break a bone, the bone regrows back together. It repairs itself. She said, if we get a cavity, right. why, why won't a tooth do that? And could a tooth do that? It will. That's what <laughs> she's claiming. Is this true? Every dentist will say, once your enamel's thin, you can't get it back. That is so not true. I mean, I, my teeth are so improved on the low oxide diet by taking lemons, routinely juicing lemons. Acid <laughs> has helped me rebuild my teeth. Here's her kind of big picture on all of this. And that's why I think you could add to her knowledge as well. And, and I, I think I believe her big picture approach. She makes the claim, look, there, there's no real reason that you have to brush your teeth. G getting stuff and film and these other things on your teeth really don't hurt anything. She said all of the damage that's done in our mouth. Now, oxalates may be doing something totally different. She's not understanding but I, I think she's on the right track. She says all of the damage done in your mouth is done by bad bacteria. All we have to really do right. is get the pH and the bacteria in the mouth correct. And none of this other stuff right. really matters. You could brush your teeth with water and you'd be just fine. Which I do. I don't use toothpaste I, at all. Exactly. That. I'm starting to, to move that way now. And she makes a couple of tooth powders one is a charcoal to help, you know, balance the bacteria. And the other one is uh, remineralizes the tooth. So she's, these are powders and use a really soft brush. And she's not doing this for the cleaning. She's doing this almost like a tooth treatment. It's the environment. Trying to get the ecosystem of the mouth yep. in better shape and provide the nutrients that are missing. And That's so exactly what she's dental doing. loss is this 
depletion of calcium and other minerals and the destruction of proper blood flow, oxalate, what it does is it grabs calcium and other minerals and causes mineral deficiency. And then it causes cellular damage and oxidative stress. And it tends to collect in the ligament that holds the tooth into the jaw. So when we're clearing out oxalates, oftentimes we get the sort of gout of the tooth. (laughs) Oh, boy. So if there's oxalate in the ligaments, in the jaw, in the gums, in the teeth, when your body starts repairing these dental tissues, you can get some really extreme sensitivity going on that might last six months. You also get some mobile teeth mobility on this oxalate clearing that happens during carnivore. And if somebody definitely has some dental issues and they're clearing oxalates, I tell them to get a retainer and or a bite guard so at night they can hold their teeth where they're supposed to be because the teeth may start wandering around a little bit while the body's healing. Got it. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Yeah, the dental thing is one of my favorite oxalate topics, actually, because it's So people are needing help with their poor inflamed gums and they don't understand that if you fix the diet, that helps fix the pH problem. And and interestingly, the one place that oxalate seems to be useful in the body is that it forms tartar on the teeth. It promotes this tartar. It it coats the teeth in a way that literally protects the tooth from additional erosion from that acidic bacteria. So if you put a patina of calcium oxalate on your teeth, then the acids in your system won't right. be as corrosive. Yeah. It, it, well, and, and so I, you know, I'm with you because they have in my last dentist appointment, I got a new dentist, which I'm happy about, and a new hygienist, and he's a wonderful guy. And he said, I don't really like this little calculus that's on the inside of your back molars. And I'm thinking to myself, so is the teeth really bothered by that? You're bothered by it. Because right. <laughs> I doubt it. Good point. Yeah, I like. I didn't say that out loud, because, right? You know, right. if you're a weird patient, they don't need you. They I have know. So many other patients, they're happy to just like ignore you. You and I are going to talk more about the dental thing. I'm glad I brought that up. We're going to go back to the list. So, sure. I'm going to like read these things, and these things are are indicators or clues of what your overall risk factor is going to be for this. So, your first one: dairy free diet. If you've ever been on a dairy free diet or low calcium intake, or low mineral levels. Doesn't that kind of sound like the vegan diet? Yes. <laughs> no dairy, low minerals. Yeah. So that's a big risk. And the risk, celiac, risk people who have celiac disease are put on no dairy, and the autistic kids are put on no dairy. It's a very common thing with a sort of holistic crowd to take everybody off dairy. Everyone's afraid of it. Unbelievable. You know We'll say that even in the holistic world, dairy, if we had to pick one nutrient that's been argued more than anything, it's probably dairy. You know, we we like to say that we only want to eat real human food, what we ate as hunter-gatherers, and dairy would be excluded from that. We we didn't, you know, I say it on the radio all the time, we didn't chase down ungulates and start pulling on their tits to get milk. We never did that. So, but we did start, we started domesticating dogs to help us hunt. And then we started domesticating the hunted animals like the Maasai right. do, where they're living right. on the yak butter that they make because they do use the blood and the dairy are the two major things for the hunters and the young folks. Yeah. 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 Well, so there's some early use of dairy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the, uh, the very first version of a bulletproof morning drink included yak cream. Isn't that how Dave Asprey? Yeah, which apparently does not taste nice at all. (laughs) I've heard that like yak yogurt and yak 
butter donut taste good to the Western palate? It, it might taste the way it sounds. Yak. Yeah. Yaki. <laughs> Yak. <laughs> All right. So back to the list. Fryer, frequent prior or current use of gut irritating foods, not necessarily high oxalate. That's interesting. But the ones listed there are high oxalate, the beans, the quinoa, the bran, and the whole grain. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So we're, I didn't know this. This was something new I learned about this. So there's the oxalate that we consume, but then the real, what we're really looking for is how much oxalate did we absorb, right? Right. And if we have leaky gut or damaged intestines, then we're going to absorb more. That's why this is a risk factor. A huge amounts more. Got right. Okay. So like instead of 10%, maybe 50%, like some so, dramatic difference can occur there. So can we, can we go look and make a correlation between people with autoimmune diseases and oxalate problems? I would expect that almost everyone with an autoimmune disease needs has, to be on a low oxalate diet and that oxalate has been promoting the immune activation. It's a, it's a, what's the word for that? It's a underlying stimulus that's turning on the immune system too much. Got it. Okay. That's good to know. We talked about this use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs. You know, when you hear that on the commercial, I can't tell you how many years I saw that on the commercial. If you're on NSAIDs, I had no idea what they were. I didn't know they're talking about oh. things like Tylenol and Advil. I thought NSAIDs was some crazy class of drugs that, you know, I don't even need to know about. But no, NSAIDs, just about everybody's taking them and they should stop. There's like a dozen of them. <laughs> Any kind of over-the-counter pain medication is basically an NSAID. Yeah, uh, so stop it. Obesity, <laughs> diabetes, <laughs> and pre-diabetes. We're, we're barely into this list, and I already think we've covered the entire population of the country. Right? <laughs> really? Yeah, it, it's just it's digestive issues, Crohn's, IBS, leaky gut, food sensitivities, bariatric surgery, celiac gut dysbiosis. You know, think about the people, you know, I had digestive issues very early growing up. I don't know why I got so unlucky. I mean, this is back in the 60s and I was having some of these problems and I fought with them till I was 50 and finally changed my diet. But do you know anybody today that isn't suffering some sort of a digestive issue if they're eating the standard American I diet? I can't think of a one. None. Yeah, it's really common. I mean, that's why the purple pill and the the Tums back in the 70s and 80s, everybody was to carry a roll of Tums with them. You know, there's always something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talk about myth busting and how long it takes. How long ago was it proven that, you know, GERD and acid reflux is not caused by too much acid? Didn't they prove that like four decades right. ago? Well, we're not going to let go of that idea. We're going to give you acid suppressor because that's the drug we have. Okay, here we go. Back to the frailty or other chronic non-oxalate issues. Frailty, I understand. What are some of the other uh, chronic non-oxalate? What kind of things? Well, like kidney disease? Is that what we're talking about? Or liver disease? Or Well, unfortunately, you might imagine kidney disease. But honestly, I think most kidney diseases are created by or ask, you know, made worse by um, oxalate in the diet. And it is an oxalate-related disease. It's actually, at this point... It's almost hard to, from my standpoint, imagine a disease that didn't have an oxalate connection, but there are some. There are genetic diseases and 
not everything that everyone has is oxalates. But if you've got a condition, you're in no position to handle more toxins. That's a good point. That's a good point that even if the oxalates aren't the primary driver, they could be a big factor still. That's why I'm very concerned about using spinach in hospitals and nursing homes and old age facilities and things like that. They just, it's abusing the bodies that are at the brink of extinction. You know, they're right. really struggling. They're in the hospital. They're under nursing care. They're elderly and frail and can't live in their own homes anymore. And we're willing to give them these foods. I think that's a terrible mistake we're making. You know, I, I follow a lot of nutritionists on Twitter, and I follow the whole gamut from the traditional that are still giving the really bad advice all the way up to the, you know, people today doing really well. And the one thing that they do, because this is what the nutritionists do all day, a lot of them post pictures of hospital food. It is awful. Just no. awful. <laughs> it is so bad. It hasn't been good for a long time, but it just, they managed somehow to keep making it worse. Exactly. Yeah. Now you have, you know, that, that was kind of the checklist. Then part two of the symptoms or existing diagnoses. This one is kind of shocking. This takes up like three pages, um, you know, yeah. you, and you break it down like connective tissue problems, joint pain, aching and weakness, arthritis or gout, swelling or inflammation around joints, tendonitis or joint weakness. There's just the list just goes on and on and on. Then uh, digestive problems and then calcifications, things like bone spurs, dental tartar you mentioned earlier, salivary stones, thyroid stones. Then you have a whole group of metabolic problems, eye or vision problems. Oxalates are affecting my eyes? Probably the most affected organ beyond kidneys or maybe before kidneys is the eye. Wow. Eyes and bones. We don't Person know any of this stuff. Too, Why don't we I, know any this of this? Is surprising to me too. Yeah, <sighs> I I was the only kid in my family who loved the Swiss chard and beets and all the vegetables, and I was the only one of five children who needed glasses in tenth grade. In fact, none of them really needed glasses until they get their fifties and sixties and needed readers. What? But what? me, the kid who was used to abuse the other children because <laughs> I would eat my vegetables and they wouldn't. <laughs> I was the one with the glasses. I was in bifocals by the time I was like 21. What is the one food they always told us to eat for our eyes? <laughs> carrots and, and anything green. What does carrots and have? Car that's a great story. <laughs> There's a great story about that. where that comes from. It was government propaganda in World War II where suddenly the carrot was good for your eyes. Boy, so. yeah. Well, isn't it supposedly the science is because of the... The beta carotene, right? That's what they're trying to claim. But technically, it's vitamin right. A, and we don't absorb vitamin A very well from plants. Yeah, well, you have to convert the beta carotene, and it's only like, you know, a third the amount. It's called a retinol equivalent. And actually, if you look at vitamin A, it's so confusing because we use international units. And right. Use this and that, and there's retinol equivalents, and the whole thing is like a real head scratcher. <laughs> Like everybody's twisting themselves and not not knowing how to talk about vitamin A. Beta carotene is getting, and the carotenoids generally are getting way too much credit for being good. When in fact, the research shows when you supplement them, it causes more death in lung cancer patients and more problems. It doesn't benefit us very much. I I can imagine. This continues. 
I envision problems. I'm not reading each individual one because we'd be here for an hour. I'm giving you the big categories, neurological <laughs> issues. Uh, could my brain fog really be caused by oxalates? Your poor brain is not like a neurotoxin. And it seems, I'm surprised at how many people, followers especially, are telling me like through Instagram and so on, that they were in counseling for 30 years for anxiety and going on this diet, they're totally free of it. Like they didn't need to spend all those hours at the counselor's office. They needed this diet. Depression, but definitely brain function. Oftentimes when you have brain inflammation, what you experience often is a lack of sort of zest for things, what I call flat affect, where you kind of couldn't care less about things and sort of blah, almost depressed, but right. not really just like, I don't care. Right. That's brain inflammation. Really? Yeah. I do understand brain inflammation. I've worked pretty hard on mine because what I do every day, I kind of like my brain to function well. So I, I've worked on a lot of things yep. that, you know, the brain loves ketones and I've made big improvements. Mm -hmm. Some of the adaptogens I, that have helped quite a bit, but I had no idea that the, an oxalate load could be a factor here as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. I didn't know about any of this. I didn't know that hiccups were a sign of neurotoxicity. And in my years of eating sweet potatoes every day and having Swiss chard at least two nights a week, <laughs> every night at bedtime, I would have a vicious attack of hiccups. Really? I had no idea that was neurotoxicity from my sweet potatoes and Swiss chard. You no. know, the only, you know how everybody has their weird cure for hiccups? That's been a thing my whole life. The, the only right. <laughs> thing that really consistently will cure hiccups instantly. And it's proven, it's science, it's nothing weird like, you know, standing on your head and drinking a glass of water. Unfortunately, it's the last uh -huh. thing you want to put in your mouth. But a teaspoon of sugar fixes it every time. And when you understand the explanation, hiccups are caused by carbon dioxide trapped in your diaphragm. So if you swallow wrong and you, and you kind of trap a little bit of carbon dioxide, that's what causes it. And sugar just kind of neutralizes the carbon dioxide, I guess. That's interesting because with the oxalate toxicity, the, the explanation that I have settled on, which is still hypotheses on how this works, is because of the calcium confusion that happens from the oxalate and the nerve. The nerve loses control of its that could be. function yep. and is stimulated on yeah, so it's that, activated on and so you get tremors and you get these that would make contractions sense. that can turn into either constipation or hiccups or diarrhea or twitches or you know weird let, stuff let me run this by you since you had mentioned the mental issues here and this has been a big topic for me in the last month a good book come out came out recently um brain energy and the, the argument the doctor's making, I think, I'm so glad he wrote this book. This one helped me a lot, too. We deal with, you know, people one-on-ones. We do consultations. And it's so common that we get people that are on multiple mental health medications. People who have cleaned up their diet, mm. really, really improved their health. They do not want to let go of these things. You know, we're trying to convince them, look, they're toxic. Oh, well, I just, I don't want to go back to the way things were before. And... And I'll tell them, look, you know, all during this consult, you're still telling me these things really aren't helping. There are still issues. We're trying to help them with the issue, but we can't till we can get them off of these things. And they hold on to these things desperately. They will get rid of all their other drugs. 
Their diabetic drugs are gone in a heartbeat. They never even flinch. Their high blood pressure medication, gone. Boy, you get to their SSRIs, they do not want to let go of those things. Yeah, it's the anxiety is intense, and it's very uh, painful to have mental issues. It's just, so, it just racks you at your very core. Here, you know? Here's how bad our pharmaceutical companies are, have gotten. It took me a little while to figure this out the other day. I don't know. Have, do you watch much TV? No. Okay, so you don't see all the crazy drug commercials. Uh, I try not to. I mean, at I, the gym, I have to watch them because there's six TVs at the I gym. I usually have <laughs> a TV on somewhere for a couple hours during the day. I just like to catch up on the news at the end of the day so I know what's going on the next day. And it seems like the news channels are flooded with these pharmaceutical commercials. Well, there was a commercial Which that came on. really and, profound if you think about who's paying their bill. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're Our beholding news. to that money. They cannot get around uh, the influence. Of that that's money. a very good point. I wasn't going there, but that's a really good and point. What they can Our, cover. Our news is being paid for by the pharmaceutical companies. So, they so therefore, get, it's always slanted. We get to determine what, or they get to determine what we're going to see. So I see this commercial, and I can tell yeah. it's a pharmaceutical commercial, but I can't understand. It's so odd. They never talk about a drug. They, there's no long list of side effects. It's a woman on the street, like an on-the-street reporter, and it's a just a, I hate the commercial, it makes me insane. But she starts talking about hot flashes. And the whole commercial is about hot flashes. But when we get to the end, they made a statement and it something clicked. And I said, oh, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on here. That's all they did, though. They just talk about hot flashes. And then if you want to know more, VMS, that right at the end, they said, VMS, vasal motor symptoms. That's the technical term for hot flashes. And then they say, really excited. We have a diagnosis now. It's real. We need to talk about this. And as soon as they said, we have a diagnosis, I knew what they have. They have a drug then. That's all this is. Yeah. But I thought, why aren't they telling me what the drug is? Why do I have to go to this website? And the website is whatsvms.com. And I get there and there's all kinds of great articles and videos I can watch and quizzes I can take to see if, you know, my hot flashes are severe. And I finally find it on here and I realize why they can't say the name of the drug on the commercial because they're promoting it off label. Do you know what they're recommending and prescribing for hot flashes? SSRIs. An SSRI. Yes. Can you believe that? I guess you can, but. Probably. Also, probably the latest brilliance in marketing is to have a little girlfriend conversation that sucks you in. Exactly. Yeah. But part of it is... It's not just women who get hot flashes. Yeah. Part of it is that doctors are allowed to prescribe drugs off-label. You're not allowed to advertise them. It's illegal. Companies do it and then actually pay the fines. And it's part of doing business for them because they say the fines are way less than what we're going to earn selling this thing off label. But I think this is one. You're right. I think some of it is just pure marketing. And I think some of it is they they can't really advertise this drug for hot flashes. It's never been tested and approved for hot flashes. Well, you're bringing up a really important issue that lost on people how much the whole practice of medicine is around what do we have something to put you on or some procedure device or drug? If we don't have a procedure device or drug, then it is no longer an illness. 
So they've done this with gout. Gout is four to five different kinds of crystals causing general inflammation in the body. But the only thing they have as a drug is to lower uric acid levels. So they're now calling supposed real gout is uric acid gout. And the oxalate gout and the other forms of gout are considered pseudo gout because there's no, no drugs way. for them. But that was never the case. That was never the case until, you know, really since the late 1980s, everything in medicine has now been moved towards, it's, it's an actual condition when we have a drug to match with it. Otherwise, it's no treatment. It's not actually a thing. So let's, and I'm not sure if I'm being really outrageous with this statement or not, since we're talking about this and we just in the last month or two, we've gotten our first real taste of artificial intelligence that we can go play with chat GPT mm-hmm. and I've been mm-hmm. playing with it. I'm horribly disappointed in artificial intelligence for one reason that I can't believe nobody talked about or nobody thought about. I think we'll start talking about it now, but I've been reading articles on AI for 10 years and I've never come across this. I think we all are kind of assuming that this artificial intelligence is going to be correct. Like a calculator. You know, we we used to have to do math on paper and now we have a calculator and the answer is always right. We never check the calculator to make sure it was right. I think people are going to assume that about artificial intelligence and all we're doing with artificial intelligence. One company released their version. Google is racing. They just released their beta version this week. Everybody's rushing now to get their their artificial intelligence out. And what we need to understand Everybody's version of artificial intelligence, just pretend they just created another human. That's the well, way you yeah, have because to... in a way, it's just summarizing all our general literature and things that are digital and sort of summing up what we are putting in our digital world. Except it gets a little worse. Whoever programs the AI can kind of guide where it gets its information from. The, the first right. one that has been released... I can tell you this, it is very left-wing and woke. There's no doubt about it. It's been proven over and over all week long. So you've got to be careful about this. But I think there are some really good uses for AI. I still think there's something to be optimistic about. But here's my thought. You just described the way the entire medical pharmaceutical complex works now. All they really care about is getting to a diagnosis that has a drug for it, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole system. And if that's the case, that's the case. There's no real, you know, doctor's intuition going on anymore. No healthcare. Right. So why aren't doctors worried that they may be the first people replaced by AI? I don't need a doctor. All that information already exists. Just plug it into AI. Get rid of the damn doctors. Exactly. They're not doing it. And and look, I'm not blaming the doctors. Doctors, I think, for the most part, are good people. They got into their profession because they wanted to help people. It's the system. And the doctors, it's too late. The doctors can't fix the system. The only thing they can do is choose to get out of it. Well, and the system becomes so onerous because of all the paperwork for insurance and privacy and this and that it's insurance not just the medical insurance but their their own right lawsuit insurance they have to keep up and then you have to keep up nurses and staffing and receptionists and technology and you have to have electronic this and that and it's just so much to manage from the business side that everyone's escaping from private practice and coming under the umbrella of major hospital systems which are big corporate um, profit centers 
they're really their mission is so far gone from true healthcare. It's really yeah, which I think it, so broken. Yeah, makes them ripe to be just totally be taken over by AI. You know, let let's have some real yeah, well, doctors that. Once you're in that system, you'll have even less freedom to be a real clinician, to take right. time with the person who needs that time with you, and to really learn how to do a physical exam and look at the whites of their eyes and the grime on their teeth or whatever, and actually observe a patient in the way that true medicine was meant to be. You right. know, you used to like tap and, your knee and do physicals. <laughs> even that's gone out the I door. Know. Why bother do a physical? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and doctors, you know, our general doctor used to be, uh, you know, he used to understand the whole body, and he understood the correlation between insulin and kidneys and insulin and the heart. And, you know, all the doctors probably learn that stuff in medical school, but then they go on to their specialty, and after a while, that's all they ever think about. If they're a kidney doctor, all they ever think about is kidneys, and nothing in our body works on its own. Yeah. Well, and, and that is really the case. It's interesting that the family medicine doctor who's a generalist who's able to discern which specialist you might need to see knows more than all the other doctors <laughs> right. and makes the least. He makes a uh, yeah. quarter of what the specialist makes. We've just totally corrupted the entire system. I want to I go back to something because I, I, um, I love the fact that you used the word superfood in your title. I love that. That this whole concept of superfoods, we either just need to scrap the whole thing. I think we should just scrap the whole thing. Yep. There really aren't superfoods. You know, carnivores might say, oh, yeah, liver is a superfood. No, it's not. It's just something we should be eating. It, it's not a superfood. It, it's a good, healthy part of our diet. And let's stop creating magical powers in one food. But here's what really I started thinking yeah, about these. The magical powers really... I think the magical power is giving into this concept that you can bypass the day-to-day doing the right, right. things for your health. Right. You can indulge in your alcohol and your right. chocolate sauce and whatever, because we have this mentality of, you know, eat your spinach so you can have your dessert. <laughs> right. And so we, we've been, we really want this idea that we can be bad kids and we just have to make up for it by eating our spinach. <laughs> and that really is this biohacking mentality. Like we're going to, hack our system and let ourselves be sort of sick, but then function really great at this meeting because we're on this certain supplement or this certain food. And that's a really destructive, toxic mindset. You know, when I first, I shouldn't say when I first got, I still do it some today. I will mention every once in a while, hey, I have a big event coming up. I have, you know, three back-to-back speaking engagements with travel in between all three. I know it's going to be a busy week. And I will say a week or two before, I'm going to really tighten up my diet. I'm going to really get strict on the carnivore and I'm going to, you know, add back in. And then I think to myself, why do you wait for something like this to do that? And I do it because I know I perform better. I know after two weeks of eating like that, I mean, really, you know, making sure I'm getting my organ meats and eggs and, you know, lots of fermented foods. I know that after a week or two of that, I perform better. I have more energy. My brain works better. And I think to myself, why don't I just do this every day then? Why do I just reserve this for special times? I should just eat this clean every day. Well, you definitely should eat clean and eat in a disciplined way and eat for nourishment, but it's okay to to vary it. You know, I think too much of the sameness is also not really what we're designed for. We're designed for seasons and we're designed for stimulus. It's like you don't stay on the treadmill all day, every day. You only go a few days a week. So 
I think you should get yourself off the hook a little bit on one side where going in and out of you perceive now as perfection is probably okay, provided that what's in between times is it, still it um, is. playing we, to the heart of your sense of what's good. Anybody would, anybody that you know, has a basic understanding of the kind of nutrition we talk about would look at my just my everyday diet and think it was really, really clean. Like there, there is zero cheating with grains for me in nine years. I haven't eaten a grain. It, it, that's that just I just don't. I mean, that's just not something that, you know, every now and then somebody will tell me, oh, yeah, I had a slice of pizza the other day or I had a burger and I ate the bun. I haven't done that in nine years. Yeah. It's actually easier, I think, to stay consistent. It almost seems Going like in it. and out of it. It's eating yourself with a slice of pizza is not helpful. Yeah. So, you know, for me, treat might be my own homemade ice cream, but that's usually done with A2 dairy. And my quart of ice cream actually has 12 egg yolks in it. And they're, of course, pastured eggs. And and there's nothing really bad in it. You know, I sweeten it with a like a honey or a maple syrup and I go really low sweetener and that to me, that that's the kind of thing. I might eat that once or twice a week. And then, you know, when I'm really trying to tighten up for something, I'll skip those kind of things. But honestly, if you look at yeah, the ingredients of my break ice cream. Dairy and sugar yeah. give you that yeah. lower inflammation that you're looking for. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think going in and out of a little bit of sugar and a little bit of dairy is an appropriate approach. But it's nice to know, wait a minute, I got into a habit of that. I should always be taking a week off every month or two weeks off every month on the dairy and sugar. If I, you know, if that's what works for you. I think it's really important for people to recognize personally what works for them. A lot Good of us point. with oxalate damage, we can't stay that keto all the time. We, we're going to need, it's, and it might cycle through a month period or whatever. There are times where you'll have a week where you'll need some fruit or something every day and other weeks so, we're fine without it. But like me, I can't go perpetually keto. I, I will get sleepless right. and I will get restless legs and I'll get cramping and it just doesn't work for me. And I don't think 100% keto is always safe for everybody. I think it's great to have the metabolism where you have keto days and keto mornings, but you don't, perpetual keto has really disadvantages for a lot of people. And I think maybe that's how I've kind of worked my way into the cycling when I'm not, you know, into the, you know, really strict part of my diet. I eat fruit every day. One piece usually, either a banana and apples, a handful of berries. I, I eat fruit almost every day, eat honey almost every day. Not big amounts. You know, I tried once. I tried eating two but servings enough, of fruit a day. But keep your glycogen levels up. So yeah. your liver's not yeah. stressed with being on low glycogen. We really need to keep the liver glycogen up. It lowers inflammation and stress in the body and helps the liver work better. And generally, you feel better on it. There you go. So the idea of this superfood, I'm glad you're almost kind of mocking the word, really, with your book title. I like that. <laughs> Let's think about some of these things. Acai berry. Where the hell does that grow? Nobody knows. <laughs> so if this is such a superfood and so good for humans, how many humans actually had access to this? Yeah. And, and if it does have some benefits, it's probably more in the medicinal category where you need two tablespoons because you've got something <laughs> wrong with you. I think you're right. Do, all of these superfoods seem to come from weird, exotic parts of the world that nobody even lives in. A, a lot of them that are like, where is a chia? Does anyone know what a chia plant looks like? I mean, I guess you can do a chia pet. It, that's right. 
Now, how funny is that? You and I grew up in, you know, the same era. The Chia Pet was a big yeah. thing when we were kids. You buy this little, uh, you know, ser- right. or clay figurine. Clay. Yeah. A and, little and then ceramic turtle. <laughs> right. And you spread this paste over the top of it, and it sprouts grass and starts growing. And they called it a Chia Pet. And now people are eating the damn seeds like they're, you know, going to save their life. Yeah, and it was never a food when we were kids. <laughs> no, no, it was a Christmas gimmick. <laughs> yeah, That's all it was. It's really sad because people are doing these chia bowls for breakfast every day. It's filling their kidneys, and they tell me, oh, my son loves chia bowls, and he has kidney stones. That's why he has kidney stones. Come on, that's killing him. Yeah, yeah. So this idea of all these plant and if you go look for a list of superfoods, what are the odds you're going to find animal products on any of them? So sad. They're missing. Yeah. Yeah, it's all plant foods. Yeah. And then they brag, what's well, a superfood? Look at the but level of like nutrients. bone marrow. And- exactly, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know, sautéed adrenals or something would be better. Yeah. I really like kidneys, by the way. I think kidneys taste delicious. They're high in copper for people who eat copper. And yeah. You know, I can eat anything. I mean, the list of foods that I won't eat, well, now there's a huge list of foods I won't eat, but taste-wise, I mean, I was super picky when I was a kid. Now I'm the exact opposite. I can eat almost anything. The one organ meat, I just can't do our kidneys. I've tried. I can't do that one. Have you done my recipe? No, maybe I should try that. I have two recipes in my PDF cookbook that's on my website, and I like to make them for like a special occasion, like a Mother's Day Sunday for my, myself for her birthday. I like them that much. Okay. I'll look at your recipe. I'll give it a try. I do, you know, I've done crazy organs. I just mentioned adrenals. I have actually eaten adrenals. You can buy them from U.S. Wellness Meats. They sell adrenals. Oh, I've never tried that. Yeah. it's You get a tiny little package of them. They're not very big. So maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll try the kidney thing again all right let's go on someday to... when you're wanting to have fun it does have like the recipe has some sauce ingredients and uses some coconut manna and oh yeah that's it fine. uses I... some mushroom stuff love that yeah so let's move on to you know we've been talking about these oxalates they're in the food uh Let's talk about why these things are dangerous. Why, why, why all these foods that they told us were so healthy, um, beets and kale and spinach and almonds and, you know, almonds, huge food that people that didn't even eat almonds, once they go keto or paleo, almonds become a big part of the diet. So that's probably another reason why we saw people dealing with this. You know, after they made the change, they probably added some foods in. Yeah, that they because shouldn't. most people come to carnivore from keto. Right, right. Yeah. So they've just overloaded themselves for With six months to six almonds. years on almonds. <laughs> right, because we eat almond everything when you're on keto. Because you're getting rid of the grains yeah. and almond flour and almond butter. They're, they're nice substitutes, but we have to make people... Almond uh, milk. Yeah, we have to make people aware this part of that issue. So just give us a quick explanation of why there would be something so dangerous and so destructive to our health in all of these plants that we're supposed to be eating. Why is it? Why is this even there? Well, if you go out and just hike around nature and try to find a nice salad out there and a nice uh, kind of almond nut bar hanging out, it's really hard to find that in nature. (laughs) 
there's not a lot of edible plants out there. I love and when you see that. Because I are designed to be inedible. Good point. Right? There's no way that tree or plant or bush made that seed so it would be a tasty little digestible innocent treat for you. That's its baby, man. It's heavily armored with all kinds of defenses. It is not digestible. If you're supposed to poop it out with some fertilizer on the other side, you're not. You're supposed to get fruit around it, but the tree never made a fruit for you because you were supposed to leave it alone. But you didn't because you have industry doing all this stuff for you. Yeah. Got so that's a simple explanation. Plants have been in an arms race with animals to be as toxic as they can to defend themselves from funguses and insects and other herbivores that want to eat them. If they were edible, they'd be extinct. You, you know, can't eat everybody's babies and have them carry on in the future. <laughs> You're eating all their babies and, you know, it doesn't work. I think it's yeah. one reason why birds are messy. Birds naturally spread seed and make a big mess. If you ever owned a bird, you'll get bird seed all over your house because they tend to flick it a lot as they're eating it. So they're simultaneously eating it, but a third of what they're supposedly eating lands on the ground somewhere. And that's helping the, the plants distribute their seeds. Same with squirrels. Squirrels carry stuff all over. They'll take the pear from my neighbor's house across the street and bring it to my yard and leave it happy eaten in my yard. And they'll take the tomato from my yard and take it to his yard and leave it in his yard happy eaten. You're right. You know, so they're very useful distributors for the for the plants. So the plants are giving us squirrels and birds and rabbits these fruits to help spread their seed around and we're pretending that we're squirrels, birds and rabbits when in fact we're apex predators that are out here really thinning the herd so that the the herbivores aren't starving to death because they've overgrazed their area. You know, the poor deer are coming and eating your hostas because they don't have enough to eat out there because there's too many deer. Nature works so well when we leave it alone. When we start staying in our lane. You know, the, the one story I remember that was just fascinating to me was when they reintroduced the wolves back to Yellowstone. And one of the changes that occurred, they documented all kinds of changes in the park when they did this. And it was bizarre. One of them was the, I forget what kind of tree, I think they might have been aspens. The aspens, all of a sudden, we started to get all kinds of new aspen groves right along the rivers. And people realized that used to be that way. There used to be aspens all over around the rivers and they disappeared. Well, why? Well, because the ungulates, the elk and the deer and all of those that eat trees could stand there all day long and eat them because there were no predators to scare them away. Right. And when the wolves came back, the elk and deer can no longer just stand there and eat those trees all day long. And the trees actually grow where they're supposed to be. Right. Because the elk or deer just get a few leaves and kind of trim the tree a bit. Right. Completely get grazed down to nothing. Right. But if a yep. whole herd of these elk can just lay there all day and nibble on the tree whenever they want, they kill the trees. Yeah, it's kind of like the way we're doing the cows where we're leaving them in the same pasture too long and not keeping them moving. Ah, yeah. You know, I just uh, kind of ruining the whole pasture system. I just had Joel Salatin on the show the last couple of weeks. His father invented oh, the, yeah. um, the electrical fencing system that allows them to move their cows every day. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Joel's a buddy of mine. He lives just an hour and a half or so from me. Oh, I didn't know you were over there. 
Are you in Virginia? Yeah, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. He's way in swoop, but it's really right. not that far. Hour and a half, hour. Yeah, he's, he's, it's a little of a country drive that lasts five it months. Is. That, yeah, once you get it. off 81, it's, yeah, it's, but it's beautiful down yeah. there. We, uh, Virginia I, is beautiful. It's got this sort of Appalachian rolling green. It does. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And the, he's right there in yeah. the, what, the Shenandoah Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. All right. So oxalates are weapons for plants. That's that's the whole reason because people might question, you know, that can't be right. We're supposed to eat vegetables. Why would there be something bad in there? But that that is a really good explanation. Plants don't want to be eaten just like animals don't want to be eaten. Animals can run away. They can fight back. They have all kinds of defenses. And, and these chemicals and, and oxalates are one. It's a big one, really big one, probably. I would say easily now that I understand it, by far the worst. We also have things like phytates and lectins that can be problems, anti-nutrients. But oxalates are, oxalates are an anti-nutrient as well, though, aren't they? Yeah, and they're also an anti-metabolite. So they're anti-nutrient because they bind minerals. They also kind of wear out your, your liver in a way where you need more B vitamins to kind of wear you out on your B vitamins. But because they interfere with your cells' function and the, and the whole metabolism of your energy metabolism, they're also anti-metabolites. Okay, got it. So, so they're starving what? you and causing mineral deficiencies and causing this sort of toxic effect on your metabolism. Oh, right. One of the things I want to get to, um, you know, Chapter 7, I don't want to cover Chapter 7 yet. We're probably going to do that in the next section, but I, I was just looking through there. I'd love this title, A Confusing Multitude of Symptoms and No Good Tests. Talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about it a lot more when we get to, but I, I want to throw that in right now, and then I want to come back and do something. So a lot of symptoms, but no really accurate ways of testing for this? That's right. That's right. You can't test blood or urine very uh, consistently and tell the picture of what's going on with the patient. That's right. And, Got it. and they... Confusing multitude of symptoms is how researchers de describe the disease of oxalate poisoning. And the reason they're talking about it is because there's this rare genetic disease where the liver overproduces oxalate and the oxalate that's killing the person is coming from the liver metabolism. We, wow. we produce a little bit ourselves and healthy metabolism, but it's a very rare disease, but it's a tricky disease. And Sometimes it shows up within the first few months of life, and that person usually doesn't make it to their first birthday. If it shows up around age two, they usually make it to age four or five or nine. If it shows up in the teenage years, you're probably going to make it to your 30s. If it shows up in your 50s, you might make it to your 60s. But Wow. It's definitely a fatal disease, and they often come with no symptoms at all for years. That's why it gets diagnosed late. And sometimes it's just a little pain in the neck. and Eventually, they're doing kidney analyses, but by then, their urine, which is how we excrete oxalate from the body, is through the kidneys and urine primarily. The urine doesn't have much oxalate anymore because the kidneys are getting so filled uh, up with oxalate, the oxalate starts yeah. acting like a magnet to itself. Can't get and rid so of the it. oxalate doesn't pass through the kidneys as well as it oh. should. So blood tests don't show the oxalate. The urine tests are variable, and you can't really tell. And they don't have other good tests, and they just don't look for it. So by the time they're looking for it, you're in trouble. 
So I I assume like most things, there's a spectrum here, right? I mean, some people might be just about dead. They're they're so overloaded with oxalates and they might have somebody way on the other end of the scale that's that's actually pretty darn clean and doesn't have a lot of problems. But the other thing I can tell you about this, and I mentioned earlier, I get to work with a lot of other practitioners and talk like you and I talk and I would venture to say of all the areas I've studied and researched and you know learned about and worked with other people on, I would say that when we look at natural practitioners, functional practitioners, that whole world, I would probably say this is the issue that most of them are ignorant about. Yep. And your book has really helped that. That's right. I was in that world. I was in the integrative medicine world. I ran a big NIH grant at UNC Medical School. We were trying to bring the holistic concept into the curriculum of medicine, nursing, dentistry, pharmacy, public health, you name it. And it was too late. This was 2000. The big pharma had actually captured medicine and there wasn't room. You know, I would send articles to medical faculty as, you know, I knew what kind of lectures were coming up this semester and we'd offer them some alternative points of view about things or, or talk to the pharmacy faculty about how we needed to make sure they knew how to look up drug interactions with foods and supplements so that when the patient said, can I take my garlic with this drug, they would know exactly how to look that up and interact with the patient because the pharmacist is a first-line healthcare professional. You can just walk right up to them and get answers to your drug questions and your interaction. But they didn't, they're like, oh no, that's all weeds and seeds. We don't want to hear about that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very familiar with the <laughs> functional medicine world. And, uh, <sighs> frustrated at their lack of interest. I worked with them. There was 15 universities that had these grants and I reached out to several and nobody's got any interest in what I'm studying and sharing. So the reason I want to bring that up is my old academic friend. Yeah. And the reason I want to bring that up as we move into, you know, how, you know, some of the symptoms, that kind of thing. Um, One of the things I've noticed in the functional medicine world that I experience it myself, um, we are able to help people with some pretty crazy things that their doctor has never been able to help them with. You know, people come to me, an ex truck driver, They've been diabetic for 20 years. Their doctor has never done anything to improve that condition. In fact, it just gets worse. 20 years ago, they were on one drug. Now they're on four. Now they have high blood pressure, so they're on a drug for that. They have kidney disease, so they're on a drug for that. Their liver numbers are elevated, so they're worried about that. That's what their doctor got them to after 20 years. They come to me, and after 20 Mm. weeks, we sometimes cure all of that stuff. And... Taking the oxalates out behind almost all of that stuff. <laughs> but here's what I want people to understand. Those people now, I'm going to be careful how I say this. I mean, they become very, very trusting of my advice. And I understand why. And, and I'm glad that they do. I mean, I, I think that's amazing. What I don't want to do, and I don't want the natural health world to do this. I don't want to make the same mistakes the health world made. When we're wrong, we need to just say we're wrong. We've been wrong about a lot of things in the last eight years. I was giving advice eight years ago that was just wrong. And as soon as I realized it, I try to be really transparent. I hope all the practitioners do that. But I also want to talk to the people who are going to practitioners. Don't make the same mistake we all made with our doctors. They're not God. You can question them all you want. You can tell them, no, I'm not going to do that. And we don't. And almost brainwashed to just think if a doctor tells you to do something, you just do it. 
and and we need to get rid of that mentality because you're running out of options. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want, and I want people to do the same thing with natural practitioners. Don't think that just because I solved your diabetes and your high blood pressure that I'm right about everything. I'm not. So if you're working with somebody and you have these symptoms and they just can't figure it out. We ran into this. I mean, I had to tell people, look, I've been through everything I could think of. I don't know what's causing this. We'll go do more research. Your book helped me solve a lot of those, but we were just upfront with people. So if you're a practitioner, be upfront, be transparent. If you don't know, say you don't know. If you've been saying something and it turns out you now find out it's wrong, admit it. Just be transparent about it and then move on. And if you're a patient or a client, question these people. I don't care what their credentials are. I don't care how much they've helped you with, myself included. Question me. And and maybe your problems yeah, I, are... You know, the ask more confident doctor, they are, Kevin. Or your practitioner, if they understand oxalates. And if they don't, then you have to understand they have a big blind spot. A big one. A real big one. And even if they think they understand oxalates, they don't because nobody understands oxalates. I've <laughs> tried to get closest closest to the sun of oxalates without getting burned it could with this book trying to make it easy and digestible there I mean a lot more could have been in here i did my best to like really thin it down and make it easy to understand but you know it's not like i have all the answers and in fact there's things in here where i say you know we have this stuff coming out of our bodies after we go off the diet some people start literally setting it off their skin they start snowing or they have literal crystals coming out of their bodies and we Think of it as oxalates coming out, but a lot of what oxalates has done is cause other forms of calcium and other calcifications and other weirdnesses that are a part of the oxalate damage. And when you stop damaging your cells with oxalate, that other damage also tries to heal and recover. And so we call that all oxalates coming out. But I said if we chemically tested them, that only some percentage, maybe a third of that would be truly oxalate. But just to keep it simple, we think of that as oxalate excretion. I mean, literally like lumps of grit that are like quartz. People have filled up whole bottles of them. They're collecting them from their urine or their eyes or their feces, even all kinds of grit. I mean, one woman says she snowed for three years. Still is a woman I talked to just before we got on says she is now snowing really heavily and leaving piles of white dust everywhere. Um, And this is the skin setting off some of this old crud that's formed up because of the oxalates. And we call that oxalate. And it is because you're recovering from the oxalate damage. But chemically, it may be hydroxyapatite and all kinds of other gunkola. (laughs) Gunkola. That's that's an example of, okay, sometimes it's not just that we don't know. Sometimes we use shortcuts just to keep it simple. Yeah, right. So let's do this. I think to wrap up this this first part of this, why don't we do this? Why don't we stop at the very start at the very top of our head and let's work our way down the body and talk about some of those symptoms and and signs we might be looking for. Any effect on hair? During oxalate, the oxalates do tend in some people to collect in the scalp, the skull, or the brain area. And some people also get sort of like hot flashes as part of the hormonal changes and the, the clearing of the oxalate. So people will get clumps of hair falling out or will go through hair texture changes or hair loss, often as part of the kind of post-carnivore, the, the, the low oxalate diet. So if you weren't having hair problems before and you do now, it might be part of this oxalate clearing. So There's yes, that. hair, 
Yeah, Chuck. Glad I asked. We just solved another mystery. We don't deal with it a lot, but actually Mm -hmm. my wife went through it. Um, you know, keto mm-hmm. for a while, we were playing around with more carnivore, you know, a little heavier on the protein, a little less on the fat. And she came to me a couple months ago and she said, I don't know what the hell happened. She has thick, full, long hair and it was everywhere. The sh- I got to keep clearing the shower drain. And I think it stopped, but she went through about a month of that. Yep. That could be the oxalate affecting those hair follicles. And for me, it kind of gave me not so much obvious hair falling out that I was paying attention to, but now that my, the front of my sort of the male baldness area has got colics now more than ever. Like my hair is kind of going in the, not the straightest direction. (laughs) Luckily with the curls, I can kind of disguise the colic, but I think that's like the teeth move for me. My lower teeth shifted. So they're kind of crisscrossing ever so slightly in the front. Wow. Okay. So we're, we can stick yeah. in the head here. We talked a little bit about brain fog. What other kind of brain issues are we going to see? Well, with the oxalate clearing side, you will sometimes see panic attacks. You'll get periods of incredible grumpiness or, you know, just intolerance. And if you, the brain fog will sometimes feel like overwhelm where your to-do list is more than you can mentally cope with. You just can't kind of organize your day and you're like this loopy ADD-ish, you know. <laughs> so all kinds of memory and word finding, all kinds of brain function things can be occurring when the, the inflammation is up causing this neuroinflammation. So, yep. Got it. So lots of brain Hopefully issues. that stuff comes and goes. Yeah. A lot oh, of brain it, issues. A lot of brain. I mean, this is the biggest thing of all, really, in the in the years of oxalate clearing in this sort of decade after the high keto or the high sweet potato diet. You can go through these cycles of mood stuff. You don't understand what's going on. You're taking it way too seriously. You're like buying into something's wrong with your brain or you're playing along with that and feeling worried and depressed and anxious. And what we have to learn to do see that as a symptom yeah. and go, oh my gosh, you poor thing. You're really a negative mess and you're worried about everything. Let's give, let's give you a sauna and then a nap right now. You, you need go. help. There you go. So yeah. let me ask you something. When I quit eating grains, which was one of the first kind of major steps that I took, you know, I read Wheat Belly and Dr. Mercola had just come out with effortless healing. They had a whole chapter on grains. So I quit grains. It was like the first thing. I didn't really go keto or paleo or low carb even. I, I just cut out all the grains. The changes were incredible. The The energy levels, the brain fog lifting, the joint pain that I had suffered with for years going away, you know, almost completely. And I used to say something and wondering if the oxalates could be like this as well. I felt in ways that I had never felt. I was 52 years old when I did this. And I used to think to myself, how come I've never felt like this? And it dawned on me. There was probably not a single day in my entire life once I started, you know, eating food that I didn't eat a grain. Not Bingo. probably not a single day. Rice cereal. Right. Why that crackers for the baby and to the Cheerios and beyond, and it's bread every day. Every single day. Toast, 
breakfast right. cereal, so, almost every meal, every snack, yes. over and over and over. <laughs> so I thought to myself, well, that explains it. I am feeling in a way I have never felt in my life because I got rid of those things. Could a, If we were able to like rid ourselves of the oxalate problem, you're working on it nine years, I'm working on it eight years, we haven't done it yet. If we're able, ever able to like really get ourselves to the, you know, optimal place, whatever that means for this issue, are we going to feel things we've never felt? I'm almost thinking we might. Yeah, you'll feel like you've gone to heaven. I think you get moments of this. I've had right. moments of this where right. it just feels like the sun has opened up. You feel completely on top of your game and yeah. unhurried about any of it. You don't feel stressed. Like, you know, you can get it all done and you're fine with it. You feel confident and calm and content and capable and everything is fine. And yeah. it's such an unusual feeling. I know. And I wonder, <laughs> maybe that's the way as human beings, we are supposed to feel most of the time. You got it. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? It is exciting because some of this of uh, thistles, thorns, and gnashing and tears that the first the Old Testament tells us we're doomed to is just self inflicted. Right. <laughs> right. You know, we we uh, we think we we are so advanced, and you know, we we've solved all the problems of you know what our hunter gatherer ancestors went through, and their life had to be so horrible. And maybe it wasn't. In fact, I'm almost hundred percent sure it wasn't. I have a feeling they had far more joy and happiness than we ever do. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. They had things to explore. They had lots of room for purpose and love and play and creativity and weaving baskets and inventing jewelry. And, you know, they're just playing and yeah. enjoying and being clear. They're not poisoned with all this nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got to be better. I mean, fantasizing about perfection in the, in the days of, you know, pre-technology is an easy <laughs> thing to indulge in. When you're talking about how our diets and lifestyles are basically making us miserable. Oh. It, to us, that is a paradise. Yeah. It may not have been perfect, and it may have had many hardships, but from we don't realize how much we're unnecessarily accepting is normal. As you say, it's common stuff yep. is not necessarily normal for humans. You know, something as simple as the first time I learned about grounding, and I, I thought, we, I mean, this seems so trivial, but is it? As hunter-gatherers, we maintained a physical connection to the earth probably a hundred percent of the time. When would you have not been in connection, direct connection with the earth? There weren't synthetic materials. Or hanging in a tree that's got its own aura. Like it, we know trees have an aura right. and rocks have auras too. Like you can actually feel the vibe of a nice big boulder. You know, there's an energy kind of synchronicity or something that we gain from that. And think about that. We There's went. A, I guess from, it's the electrons. The theory it, is the electrons. Right, know? right. We went from being in contact with those electrons 100% of the time. And there are many, many people right now that probably go months at a time and never come in direct contact with the earth. Because of their flip-flops. <laughs> their dress shoes. They're in buildings all day long. They're being... Even more so in the wintertime. How many people actually take off their shoes? It's actually hard to be in touch with the earth. Yeah. Yeah. 
My neighbors think I'm insane. My mother did not like the idea of kids going to the emergency room, so she made us wear shoes at all times. Oh, boy. She was not going to go to the emergency room. (laughs) Or stepping on something. No, instead, you can now go to the hospital because you're sick for life. My neighbors think I'm insane. In the wintertime, I will have a big you know, Russian fur hat because I'm bald and bald heads get really cold outside. Uh, I'll keep my head really bundled up and warm. And I might have on a hoodie and sweats and it's like 20 degrees outside and I'm in bare feet. My neighbors think I'm insane. I walk the dog that way. I almost always walk the dog in bare feet, no matter what time of year it is. Wow, that's great. And I garden in bare feet. All that I'm out in the garden all day long. So, but just think wow. about that. We we went my from pine cones. Really, <laughs> I got some wicked pine cones in my garden. You got to your feet toughen up pretty well too. You know, you start walking around outside yeah. with bare feet all the time, and they they get pretty tough. Yeah, I I used to run barefoot on the pavement to, to do that. Get See, there you go. Yeah, going toughen that up. That was such a gift to me because I spent so many years with serious foot problems. I couldn't ever not wear a shoe, and now I can go barefoot outside. Nice. It's amazing. Back to the head. We haven't moved very far here. We've talked about a lot of conditions already. We haven't. I guess we're down to the... I've heard people tell me their cataracts went away, and their night vision is better. Mine certainly is. And some people, their visual acuity is improving on this. It's incredible. So now we're down to the eyeballs, and you mentioned all kinds of things. You actually made a statement the eyeballs might be the most affected organ. Yeah, and that's the surface of your brain. Good point. Good point. The eyeballs are right there connected directly to our brain, aren't they? It's part of the brain. Yeah. That's why the eyes are the window to the soul, right? There you go. We're only going to move down about a half an inch here, but I think you had already talked a little bit about sinus issues. Yes. Sinus issues. Strongly believe if you have chronic sinus problems, you need to be off the oxygen. <laughs> no doubt. The mucous membranes there, there's so much calcium there. Think about these layers of thin. There's lots of layers of thin bone, lots of circulation there, lots of mucous membranes, lots of glands because you've got to produce the mucus and so on to take care of that area because, you know, it's got air moving all the time, which is drying. So you have to be able to produce all the right fluids to keep the tissues living and happy. And so there's a lot of activity there. Um, And so it it really does seem to get caught up with the oxalate problems. And then you've got just with oxalates, you've got probably a change in pH that makes it more possible for organisms that are living in your sinuses and giving you infections all the time. Very interesting. We talked earlier, we'll move down a little bit, not very far again, another inch the mouth, all kinds of problems, dental issues. I, this is a really interesting topic I want to do more exploring on. It is amazing. I think that the uh, so many of our dental problems can be tied to oxalate. It's really stunning. It's not a ton of research in there, but it's really nice to have a happy mouth again with the no more pain, no more sensitivity to sugar, heat, and cold, better enamel, no more fear of cavities. It's amazing. You know, one of the problems with what we do and and you and your book making my job more difficult, I'm thinking about a couple things here, you know, trying to convince people that they should stop eating grains. That was not an easy Mm -hmm. task. How many? I mean, think about this phrase, healthy whole grains. Isn't that how they almost always say it? 
Absolutely. And bread is everywhere. We like finger foods. We like to eat with our hands and bread is our way to eat with our hands. So people, you know, pizza, burgers, sandwiches, they're all popular because we do like to eat with our hands and bread has given us a way to do that. And bread itself is so addictive, you know, so why would you take, take away their precious, you know, this is their tool for eating. And then throw in the religious connotations of it. Bread. Bread has right, the body. Uh, right. That was a really, we managed to do it. So we got a lot of, but it was hard. Boy, I can't tell you how many arguments I had about that. People, you're insane. It's hard to take the bottle out of the hands of an alcoholic there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now, now you, you are attacking the most sacred of all our foods, almost vegetables as a group. Isn't that like the healthiest group of foods. Isn't that what they've always told us? Yeah, it's the third rail. Nobody dare talk about vegetables aren't good for us. And only, only a crazy person would dare to touch that <laughs> right. one. Right. And now... It's so sad, though, that vegetables uh, have been elevated. I mean, and it started, I it think, in modern mindset with the whole low-calorie thing. Like, right. everybody started worrying about their weight post-World War II. After World War II, we had you know, just a kind of culture that was more commercial and doughy and, you know, more suburban. And so everybody had to wear the little tight dresses and wear their little cute outfits. And so weight became a big issue after World War II. And the the fact that there's like no calories in celery (laughs) elevates it to (laughs) the height of God himself. You know what? I don't know why when I talk to you, I get such weird thoughts in the middle of a sentence, but I just thought about this. And you and I are the same age. We grew up with all the same stuff. What, Whatever happened to cottage cheese being a diet food? Don't you remember that? It was for me in high school. Exactly. My cottage cheese. Yeah, that was a big thing. As soon as you saw somebody eating cottage cheese, you would ask them if they were on a diet. Yeah, same with tuna, actually, too. And and sometimes hard-boiled eggs, because everyone knew right. that protein, yeah. it, you know, it works. Yeah. Uh, how crazy. Now... There's always a little lettuce on the side. Of it. Uh, yeah, of course. So... Like, you used to buy the... Like, we used to go to the cafeteria at the hospital back when they actually had food in the cafeteria. <laughs> yeah. We could eat there on Sundays, and the, the cottage cheese always had the lettuce under it. Yes, yeah, see, I... scoop of cottage cheese on the plate. I always liked mine over slices of tomato with salt and pepper. Uh-huh. I always like yep. that savory. And a lot of vegetables do better with salt. You know, I always, yeah. even watermelon and so on. Fruit does really better with salt. Eating. Yeah. Most people don't realize fruit it's does not, better with salt. Yeah. tastes much better with Apple. salt. Apple. Almost every fruit. The only one I don't think I've ever tried, and it doesn't sound good, would be a banana. But apple does better with a little bit of salt, papaya, some of the tropical fruits. So now this we, is a we, known thing because salt and sugar enhance each other. So if you add salt to something sweet, that's why there's always like a quarter teaspoon of salt in a cake recipe too. Point because the oh. salt helps bring out the sweetness. It, you know the yeah. other thing that salt elevated, and it's one of those foods I have to be careful of because of oxalates. But salted chocolate, salt yes. makes chocolate oh, taste yeah. amazing. I used to love that. Yeah, horse yeah. Or, oh, right. yeah. Horse oh, yeah. Salt. So that you actually get like the crunch of the salt crystals. They're so yep. big. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So I we've had we, that in 20 years. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a while. Maybe. Yeah. So we, we've had to convince people not to eat bread. That was a tough one. We're now trying to convince them they have mm-hmm. to be careful with vegetables. We're not saying don't eat vegetables. 
we're saying you have to be very right. picky, right? There are low oxalate vegetables, and if we eat them, puree your vegetables. Yeah, yeah, and you've <laughs> even it's only the nuts and seeds and potatoes that are the worst, and it's only like three greens, and it's really a fairly short list of vegetables that are trouble. Yeah, but then there's the fact that they have other problems, and they're really—I mean, right. there's some people get allergic to the onions and can't do that, and so on, but. There's plenty of low oxalate vegetables. Yeah. The whole cabbage family, including kale. Kale is not very high in oxalate, by the way. You keep mentioning kale. I, the truth is, is kale has three times the oxalate as lettuce, which has almost none, but it's nothing compared to the spinach and the beet greens. Okay. And there's a table in there somewhere in the book. There's, I, there's one about sips in Chapter 4, probably in Chapter 4 as well. For some reason, I just... But a little bar graph gives you a sense. For some reason, I just like to pick on kale. Well, kale and spinach are routinely spoken in the same sense. They're like hooked at the hip here in our culture and in our verbiage. Because kale has lots of other toxicity. Kale has a lot of problems, yes. People turn them into kale chips. (laughs) Right. It's not good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now we're actually going to convince people that cavities can heal themselves? Well, I don't feel I need to convince them of that. I think if you're willing to try getting away from the oxalate poisoning and eat enough good animal fats and, and, and nutrients from animal foods that, uh, and especially if you, if you have oxalate problems, with, as we have decided, since we are ruling the world right now, we all have oxalate problems, which I think is a reasonable conclusion. Um, yeah. Dr. Mercola basically said that in an interview with me that he published on the first of the year, January 1st of the year. He's I listened to audience. it. Look, it's a rare person who's not going to need this information, get this book. And so keep reading the book. I mean, like really study because you can do things to support this healing, like the lemons and the minerals and so on. And we'll talk about that later, but don't give up on just, all right, now that I'm carnivore, I'm not eating oxalates, I'll close the book, I'm done. No, there's a whole lot more for you to understand because of your history of eating this chocolate and the buckwheat. That's a good the, point. All these high oxalate foods. Yeah. A lot of so the now problems. now we're all recovering oxalate wounded people, essentially. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, let's take a look at, you know, the issues we do solve with things like carnivore. The big one, you know, poor sugar handling and, you know, insulin resistance. And minute you go carnivore, that problem starts to improve and never really stops improving, right? If you have been eating the standard yeah. American diet your whole life, you're diabetic, you're overweight, you have all these problems, they immediately start to resolve with carnivore. And the longer you do it, the better they get. For, for the majority, not yeah, right. everyone. I've True. had a couple right. of clients who started this in their 70s, and they yeah. remained high insulin and high sugar after years on carnivore. Huh. And everything we tried with him, we couldn't really get it to shift. Yeah. No, I There's that. occasionally that person, yeah. but this is just another example of if you have diabetes, you need to start yesterday on addressing it. Do yes. not wait. Yes. So, but I think I want to point out the fact that a lot of those things do resolve. And the longer you eat carnivore yeah. or low carb, the better they get. I'm still documenting improvements after eight years. But I want to point out the fact that if you right. don't understand oxalates and how to clear them, that problem may never get better. 
Well, it's getting better. That's why you're still getting better because you're still unloading your oxalate load. But if you know from the book that you can help yourself through these moments where you don't feel so good or that more citric acid might help or some additional minerals might help, there's sometimes when you need some degree of supplementation. There's sometimes when, hey, I do need some carbs because I have this stress in my system and my liver is that, you know, by by understanding how oxalate is affecting your body more and how you're you have this long tail of a burden of oxalate crystals potentially in your shoulder joints and your bone marrow and different body parts that the body will continue to get at that stuff and continue to make it better and better over time. By knowing that, you can know, you know, maybe you should have a, a lemon and a papaya today or something. You know, there's things you can do to facilitate this so you can feel good while you're still getting better. That that's the real key. That that's the value behind this book. I mean, you, you can read it and go, "Oh God, this is awful." Look at all these things that are wrong, and look at all these foods I probably shouldn't be eating. But the real answer is here: this can be fixed, and when you fix it, life gets a lot better. And I will say, I have done. There were two areas that I've been you know, wanting to learn more about for the last several years. And finally, two people wrote books. Adaptogens is something I've tried to research on my own, and I just struggled with it. Finally, somebody wrote a good book on adaptogens, and that one really helped me. And then this issue, there is next, almost next to nothing out there, really good material on oxalates other than your book. Yep, that's why we needed a book. Yeah, we really did. We really did. I'm glad you wrote it. And like I said, I deal with a lot of other practitioners. They're reading your book. Other practitioners are are finally learning about this topic. That's a dream come true because that's the only way we're going to help people because that's who you turn to when something's not right. You're looking around for a health practitioner to help you figure your way out of it. As long as they're completely unaware of this, they're in no position to point it out. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't even made it down to our chin yet. (laughs) We've talked about an awful (laughs) lot of problems and issues. We could keep working down the body. And I have a feeling we could probably take another hour or two just on symptoms, right? Yeah, we probably could. But, you know, quickly, you've got the swallowing problems, you've got the hiccups, you've got the digestive disorder, the stomach reflux, you've got, you know, heart palpitations, you've got shoulder, frozen shoulder and tendinosis or bone spurs or calcified tendons. All of that stuff could be related (laughs) to So rather than do that. I mean, I think we've kind of set the stage here just in our head. You can see how many things could go wrong. The rest of the body. And here's the other thing to understand. Take all of these symptoms and and nobody suffers from all of them, right? That's for sure. You may only have one. A lot of people just weirdly one little symptom. My husband, it was his carpal tunnel and his bad sleep. One of my clients, it was just his bladder crystals, 100,000 bladder crystals. For Nothing me, it else, just, his energy is good. Everything else is great. For me, it seems to be mostly joint pain. There may be some other little mm-hmm. things that, as I clear this up, maybe maybe my brain will start working even better. You know, I would say that I don't have brain fog anymore, but maybe I don't know what it's like to have a truly, maybe it can get even better. Yeah. And I think it gets better in terms of like your ability to focus and meditate and feel calm and enjoy life and feel gratitude. Like all those things suddenly are simpler. Right. So for me, it really was just kind of one really pronounced 
where I can tell you when I've been eating too many oxalates. So, and then I'm just mm-hmm. perpetuating the problem. Now I understand even after you get the, the oxalate amount right in your body, it's still going to take you years to clear this. But I think we can reasonably say that anybody listening to us, if you're on the standard American diet, it's a slam dunk. You have a problem and you need to get the oxalates out of your diet and the grains and all the other stuff we talk about. If you've moved to a paleo, a keto, keto a carnivore, a ketovore, any of these newer kind of whole food animal-based diets, and you've seen a lot of health improvements, we can almost guarantee you have some things left over as well that you could still improve. Yeah. So I think the real answer to this is everybody listening to this should get the book, read it, and address this issue. If you're committed to feeling better and aging well and not becoming decrepit and becoming, you know, a patient for the last five years of your life or 10, it's really vitally important. Yeah. Your children and grandchildren, your friends and family really don't want to change your diapers. I promise you. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so I, They'll do it, but you might be ruining their lives in the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, over the years, we've we've brought a lot of things, low-carb, keto. We've helped a lot of people with health. A lot of other books I've talked about, even like the new book, Brain Energy. I learned something critically important from that book. I learned that all of these brain issues that we think are somehow different, whether it's anxiety, depression, both anxiety and depression, schizophrenia even. This doctor, and and I believe him now after reading the book, because again, it was so well written, so much documentation like your book. If you read the book, you have to be convinced of this. You did such a good job of outlining it, proving it, I think he did the same thing. And what he was able to prove is all of these brain issues are metabolic. There's nothing different about any of these brain diseases we're trying to deal with. They're they're metabolic issues. Such an important point, too, because we want to slap all these different diagnoses, and they keep inventing different syndromes and diagnoses as if it's a different problem. Right. But fundamentally, you have energy crises going on in cells because they're toxic and deficient in the nutrients they need. When they get the right nutrients, then they can clear the toxins if you quit overloading them with additional more and more toxins all the time. And then voila, all kinds of crazy stuff that seems uncurable disappears. So what I, I came to this conclusion, and, and I one of the kind of a quote or a phrase I use is just like we, we've done with, you know, we could take one little action in the body of oxalates and we could spend three hours trying to actually describe how it works, right? Doesn't the body get really complicated when you get down into the weeds like that? Well, it does to really understand the physiology of, how the oxalate is damaging, how the body's right. managing it, how the body's undoing this, that can get really fascinating. And for library geeks like me, I want to learn more because it's kind of a cool mystery. Yeah. But for the average Joe, like, nah. Uh, but I, what I've conclusion I've come to is that we can make this outrageously complicated if you want. You could study the human body for the rest of your life. There's that much to learn. But you'll never have the answers. It's too complicated for our brain to comprehend. Exactly. So my phrase is no matter how complicated we can make the human body, the owner's manual should only be one page. Yeah, this is not that complicated. 
don't poison yourself and get <laughs> nutrients and get rest and play and be outside. There you go. Now, when when I've, you know, books have been written about kidney health and low carb and liver health and low carb and fatty liver and low carb and, you know, now brain diseases and low carb. And every time I finish the book, I usually tell people. If you're a library geek or you just really love this stuff, go read the book. It's really interesting. But if you're not a geek and you don't want to read a bunch of books unless you're really going to learn something useful from them, you can skip a lot of those books. And, and, and because the things we're telling you to do to get healthy, fix all of them. You don't need to know. There is no special liver diet. There is no special kidney diet. <laughs> so. But I will, that's why this book to me is, this is the one book that I will say, no, I don't care how much you've learned about this stuff over the last eight years with with everything I've learned in all that time. This is a book you have to go get because this is an issue that's different than all the others. This one isn't going to resolve just because you made this big dietary change. Exactly. And, you know, Understanding the whole context of it and why we're missing it and all that just really helps ground you in, yeah, this is a real thing, even though nobody talks about it. Right. It's actually a thing. Yeah. Ten years from now, we are going to be talking about it, and there's going to be a lot of people educated oh, yeah. on it. Right. It's mm-hmm. coming. I it, think this is bigger than the whole gluten thing. You know, I think whole, so, like, too. Wheat and grains are bad enough, but this is actually takes it to the next stratosphere. Yeah. So rather than go through the rest of the body, I don't think there's really any point in it. I'll just really make Mm -hmm. the statement. If you follow this show, and if you're even remotely interested in what we've been talking about in the last eight years, just go get this book and deal with this issue. Now we're going to continue. Toxic superfoods. Yeah. We still have two more, you know, segments of this mini series. There's a lot more we can talk about and a lot more we can help with it. But I think... We've kind of done a pretty good job today of setting the stage that that this is just a problem. It's not being talked about. You're not going to hear this from your doctor, no matter how functional he might be. Uh, you're, you're on the very cutting edge of this whole issue. Yes, yes. And a couple more discussions with you, Kevin, and I think people will be able to put on their oxalate glasses and sort of see this problem now in, in a way they hadn't before. So it's like opening up a whole new world of recognition. Yeah. Yeah, it is for me. I mean, that that's why I, you know, really wanted to get together with you and make sure we do this right. And because this really, even after well over 200 health books in the last eight years and very few of them stick out now, you know, it's shocking to me. I go back and look at my list of books and I look at some of them and I don't barely remember them and some just stick out like, these are really the key books you've got to read, and this is one of them, no doubt. Yeah, well, thank you so much for getting interested in this. It's always good to meet a fellow journeyer who can see, wow, this is something, this is a missed thing. i got to fill in this missing puzzle piece. There you go. All right, uh, anything you want to wrap up this first segment with? Well, I love that we're getting to chit-chat about all of this, and so I appreciate that. And I'm really glad that your listeners have hung on for this discussion and are going to start reading Toxic Superfoods because it is a great opportunity for you to help people you love. Even if you're not sure that it's anything for you, guaranteed one of four people that you adore is on their way or already is in some really big stuff. And this knowing this information can help them and help their doctors help them and really pull them out of the 
Meyer. So please help me get this message out so that we can help more people who are innocently eating healthy foods and making themselves sick. Great point. Great point. And I do find that, especially with our tribe, and I'm sure it's just human nature, one of the first things we see from people when they, this is what drives me to do what I do every day. The minute I learn something new, I can't wait to share it with somebody else. Like, what's the point in knowing this if I don't go tell it to somebody else? Exactly. And And luckily, we're seeing that, you know, and the reviews online are really wonderful because people are sharing from the heart about this has changed my life. This has saved my life. This is earth shaking for me. This is the answer I needed. And that's what the message we have to share. We're kind of like Whoville and we're this invisible community on a little dust back on a dandelion. And we're, we're starting to get heard. Like we're going to break through the, the ignorance and be listened to because there's so many of us in trouble with oxalates and what a gift that is because maybe younger people can avoid what's happened to those of us who are middle-aged where we didn't know this for a whole life. Good point. And I, I like the fact that you just called us middle-aged because that means we're going to live to 120, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've certainly been getting younger and I Me have too. great hopes that my spine will continue to heal and I'll be able to get back on the water skis and be wild. Wait a minute. In my 60s. You never told me you were a water skier. Well, I sure would like to be. The last time I was up on a ski was 1999. Wow. Now, I, I grew up skiing. I, can, I, I couldn't write this minute, but it wouldn't take me long. I, I've been, I learned how to barefoot. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I did wow. a lot of, lot of slalom skiing and then got a little bored with that and started playing around with the barefoot. That was, that was a lot of fun. I think I made my chiropractor rich that oh, summer, well, too. You must have some gorgeous thighs, and I want to learn how to do a rooster tail. I never really got good at that. Yeah. So now, now I... have never I, had enough opportunities to be on skis enough for a ski. I, yeah, I kind of grew up with it. But then once I moved and started traveling, you know, I kind of got rid of the boat, and I haven't had a boat in over a decade now. But my new water sport, wing foiling. Ever heard of it? Yeah, you see that. I see that out on the Outer Banks occasionally when I get out there. So this, there's two new things to this. So I was kiteboarding. I live in the Columbia River Gorge, right, right on the border of Washington okay. and Oregon. We have so much wind in the gorge. This is where all those sports were invented: sailboarding, oh. kiteboarding, wind windsurfing. Now, the, the fo- almost all of it started here. This like the epicenter. People come from all over the world to do the sports here in the gorge. And I'm looking at it right now. It's right out my front window, right out my studio window. So I was kiteboarding. So then you would just grab any kind of old, you know, kneeboard, boogie board, you know, wakeboard, whatever. And you would get a kite and you actually fly the kite and the, you're attached to the kite by a harness. And all you're doing with the handle is steering the kite. You're not, there's no tension against it or anything. Tension's all on the full body harness. And then the kite drags you around the river and mm. you, you ride on your board. Well, now what they You don't done, have to be that fit. You really don't. The hardest part is learning how to fly the kite. I mean, that, that's fairly tricky right. is learning how to fly the kite. And this is a yeah. bad place to learn. If you go out to the ocean, you get nice, steady <laughs> winds. We get crazy, volatile, violent winds, which is fun when you're good. 
It just makes it really hard to learn. What they've done now, the kite is right. kind of a pain. I mean, it's a big kite. You got cables and, you know, ropes and attachments, and it's a lot to deal with. And you got to have the right spot in the river to be able to get your kite to launch. And so the, the problem, you had to have a kite that big to overcome the drag of the board in the water. Well, the foil has solved this. So what the foil is, is it's like a big keel sticking down like on a sailboat. And on the bottom of the keel is a wing. So what happens is as you start moving, Uh. the board comes out of the water completely and your foil rides, you know, six inches under the water. So, or a foot sometimes, depending on how deep your keel is. One thing, your board's not on the surface of the water. It's so smooth. You can't believe right. it. There's no slapping, yeah. bouncing, yeah. Split, all that goes away. But there is well, so little drag on that foil that we don't need a big kite anymore. Now we just carry what we call what a wing now? and the wing you just hold in your hands. No kidding. Yeah. So get so up. much less gear, so many it, less cables to get all tangled up and soggy. You know, in the summertime, I can just throw my board, leave my board in the car. They come apart. You know, the foil comes off, a couple bolts, so you can put it in the car. You don't even need a SUV or anything. Wing deflates, so it gets really small. And that's basically all you need is your board and your wing. So I just carry them in the summer, and if I feel like I stop in the river five minutes, I'm in riding. Cool. Yeah, kind of fun. Wow. All right. I'm intrigued. There you go. And isn't it awesome to be 60 okay. and, and still look forward to do some of this stuff? Yeah, well, I'll, I'm just about to turn 59, so a whole other year to, like, get ready to be the athletic 60-year-old I want to be. I'm going to turn 60 on May 2nd. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. All right, well. Yeah, you just completed your sixth decade. Cool. Yeah, isn't that crazy? 60 laps around the sun. <laughs> you and i could do this younger because we're learning so well that's it that's it you and i could do this all night but i know we got to wrap this up we will uh we're going to come back we're going to do two more segments of this and when we're done i'm confident we're going to have something we can put out in the world and and bring more people to this issue and to the book fantastic all right thank you we will talk to you soon You're awesome. Big hug. Take care. Bye, Kevin. All right. We will will see you back here for the next episode. Check for it. In the meantime, be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.